Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenman and Mulner podcast. Me and Sam have just interviewed a, a, a very award-winning comedian. And it's very award-winning. Well, I was going to say... Uh, do I start again or not? <laughs> no, no, I think you should have another go and take a runner. Right, here we go. Little drum roll. And today we've been joined by an award-winning comedian, and it's Lauren Patterson, who has really excelled over the last few years by winning Best Newcomer in Edinburgh. Um, and she's been around the world making people laugh some, and that just seems to be an incredibly satisfying job. I know, but you wouldn't know it, would you? She's, she's just like Lauren down the road. You went to school with it. It's, um, you know, she's, she's, so, she's so normal for someone who's won the biggest newcomer prize you can win in comedy. Um, you know... It's it, 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 um, astounding, really, and, and like she's just so normal. She's she's got a day job as well, which is wow. fair play to her, by the way. Fair oh, hundred percent. She's like she's just like so normal. And it, it's 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 just the only reason why I say fair play to her because it's just nice to see that you know you might have been touring in New Zealand, Canada, Australia, etc., but still to think, well, actually. I need to pay bills at the end of the month. I think that just shows real class about her, actually, because comedy will always be there for her, and she is very, a very, very funny person. Oh yes, yeah, brilliant! Um, you don't you don't win awards at Edinburgh Festival for nothing, believe me. Um, yeah, she's she's a really impressive character. Um, good laugh, um, but again, like dead, dead normal. Like spoiler alert, like. Two thirds of the way in, she just disappears briefly because she's got to go pay the the handyman that she's got in the house at the moment. So um, yeah, it's um, yeah, really really enjoyable uh, hour this one. And just managed to actually play football with Chris Kamara, which is just fascinating to say the least. Yeah, um, not many people get to do that, I suppose, do they? Um, yeah, I, I, I want to play football with Cammy. When <laughs> was the last time you played football? Uh, 2005? Well, at least it's in the 21st century. Yeah, 20, 2005. I retired at the age of 16 anyway. So. But I'd come, I'd come out of retirement briefly for a kickabout with Cammy. I think everybody would. Everybody would. And she talks about... Um comedy rose battles which if you haven't seen the clip on youtube about um against uh, tom Houghton, oh fantastic and fantastic stuff and uh yeah I'll, I'll not ruin it but she does she does all right as we say in the north she's, she's done aries she's done aries uh but sam you know another comedian we've had fun beyond and two different types of comedy yeah um yeah yeah, yeah, correct. You are correct in what you have just said. Yes, two different types of comedy. Um, much more, like she'll say herself, like comedy circuit comedian um, from the north. I like working class mentality. It's, it's really, I mean, go on YouTube after you've listened to this and check out her stuff. And when, you know, everything's opened up and everything, and everything, and we can return to gigs and football stadiums and all everywhere go and go and see a go and see a show because uh, she's very very good uh big thanks to our sponsors bf52 www.bf52.com forward slash nftv will give you the chance to buy eight cans of any beer ip or lager or stout whatever you fancy for five pounds 95 which is just the price of package and postage which is just brilliant stuff from beer 52 as well but i think we should get this uh agreement of the show on the road, and it is the Greenwood and Mourner Show with Lauren Patterson. Hello and welcome back to the Greenwood and Mourner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV, alongside myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and of course, Sam Mourner. We are joined by an award-winning comedian uh, who has been at Edinburgh Festival and even around the world making people laugh, which seems like the best <laughs> job in the world. It is, of course, Lauren Patterson. Lauren, welcome to the Greenwood oh, and Mourner Show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's been it's brilliant to get you on, Lauren, and is it the best job in the world, making people laugh for a living? It is, which I think is why I was so sad when it all disappeared, because <laughs> you don't really know how good it is until 
you're back on Morrison's checkout, like, oh, I had it really good for three years. I had it really good. <laughs> I can imagine. Is that what you've had to do then? Because I, I, I've seen from your social media since, like, COVID and lockdowns and the whole live entertainment industry is just completely on shutdown. It's getting back to relative normality. Yeah. Sort of. But have, have you had to get, like, another job to kind yeah, of... Great into a supermarket, I was like, I don't care, I just want to be earning money. And as well, I was like, I want to spend Christmas at home with my sauce. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I went and did that for a year, just over a year. And then I left and I've gone into a restaurant just because gigs are coming back. So I've got a job where I can work like a couple of shifts a week and then gig on the side. And everyone was like, well, what have you done that for? Comedy's coming back. And then bloody or Boris makes his announcement the other day and within minutes I had like three cancellations and I was like, well, see, if I didn't have a job to fall back on, I'd be sat like, well, what am I, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my dog? Like, <laughs> I don't care about feeding myself, but as long as the dog's fed. <laughs> that's all that matters. That's all that matters. But um, why comedy, Lauren? Why did you want to be a comedian? And what was, can you remember like the first moment of comedy that you encountered at all? Um, I used to watch like Only Fools and Horses and all that kind of stuff with my dad. So I feel like I've always been brought up on like good British comedy. Oh, that's me when I had brown hair. Well, <laughs> it's always so weird when I see pictures of me with brown hair now. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think, and I've always like, I know it's such a cliche thing to say, but like my family definitely had like a good sense of humour as well. So I've always been brought up around comedy um, and then obviously I was kind of the age where when I was like mid-teenager that was there was that real boom of like Live at the Apollo, Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow, like all these big programs started coming so I started watching a lot of comedy and I was like this looks like fun, this looks like something I might want to do so I started doing it as a hobby and then I remember being at the stand and someone making a comment being like um, oh you know you could do this like professionally, you know you could make a living out of this but I hadn't I was like 18 at the time. I hadn't made that connection in my brain. I was like, there's the people who do it in the comedy clubs like this and they must all have other jobs as well. And then there's your people on telly who they're the ones who must earn a living. And then you slowly start to realise that, yes, there's your telly comics, but then there's this whole circuit of comedians who are earning a living, like just going out every night telling jokes. And I was like, God, I'd never even considered that I could make it. I think I got paid 20 quid for my first gig at the stand. And I was like, I'm going to frame this 20 quid. I'm never eighteen until Sierra Uni, and I think I just went straight out and bought trebles with it. <laughs> Didn't who, who you, yeah, I could have had it. Who, who were your early sort of influences then? Who did you watch stand up wise? I loved Billy Connolly. My dad used to always show us Billy Connolly, and me and him actually went to see his last tour, which I think is probably going to be his last tour. So I'm pleased yeah. I got to see him. And then Russell Howard. I would distinctly remember watching Russell Howard's live at the Apollo set and be, and I know like some people like him, some people don't, but I think that's the case with comedy. Like I always find it weird whenever people ask is someone in the Chronicle, I once did an interview in the Chronicle, right? And obviously I've got ask me comedy influences and people in the comments were like ripping apart who I'd chosen. <laughs> Dog kicking off, he doesn't like them. <laughs> like 30 comics, I've just picked three and people were like, oh, well, she mustn't be very good if she like Sarah Milligan. And I was like, pick off, like, if you want us to say. But um, I really liked Russell Howard. He just looked like he was having so much fun. And, like, especially at that age, I was like, well, that's what I want. I want a job where I'm having fun. Um, and then I've, I've since, in the last year, got to work with him and proper fangirls. Like, it's the only uh -huh. time I kept my cool together. I was like, can I please get a picture with you? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've seen, I've seen that you got the picture with him because didn't you have like a picture of him like on a poster and you're yeah. like, like 10 years apart or something like that? The very first comedian I went to see when I was 15, I remember I got the last two seats, me and me, who were like right in the back row in City Hall. And he was, this was like back when he, he was obviously big, but he wasn't arena big. So he was still like, after the show, I'll be in the foyer signing stuff. And I really want to go, but we we're, were like 15 years old, we were getting picked up. So we had to go. And then I remember he's two hours after that was when he went into arenas. And I was like, oh, well, I'm never going get to <laughs> get the chance now to meet him. And I was gutted. I just had this picture with like his poster. And then when I was gigging with him, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was like, this is really cringy. But when I was 15, I had to take a picture with your poster because <laughs> I couldn't stay back and meet you. And he was really good about it. Like, 
he was like yeah yeah let's take a couple of pictures and he was like posing for them and stuff and I was like that's nice like obviously most comics are nice but Ralph what are you doing is it the dog we've had so many animals dogs and cats (laughs) honestly on this show Sam so uh, we're we're absolutely fine with animals we're animal friendly on this uh, podcast aren't we (laughs) (laughs) yeah you always worry that like I knew he was going to be sound, but normally, like, you don't want to look, like, unprofessional. But he was really, really nice about it. So I was very, very happy. Yeah, it's the whole never meet your heroes thing, isn't it? But, like... Yeah, exactly. You like to think yeah. most of them are going to be pretty sound. Like. <laughs> I guess so. But I was I was speaking of, like, um, your early influences and whatnot, and you, and you mentioned your family there. Uh, I came yeah. across this picture on your Instagram... Uh, yeah. Alerted us. <laughs> uh, can can you explain when this was and 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 what are kind of your early memories of being? I'm guessing forced into a Newcastle shirt. Oh, definitely, definitely. But um, I'm guessing from the sofa. This is definitely nineties. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. We did have a brown carpet when I was very little, so I think we're slightly past that. But especially, well, I think I'm still the same now. Anything my dad sort of is into, I'm always like, especially as a kid, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I would like only fools and horses. What bloody eight year old girl wants to sit and watch only? Because like, I'm not a daddy's girl. I wouldn't say I'm a daddy's girl, but I really love my dad, and he's got like great sense of humour. Like, he's interested in good things. Of course, growing up, I was always like, well, if my dad likes it, then I'm probably gonna like it. So I'm guessing, and as well, my dad's got two daughters. So he's never had that son to be into football with. So I think me and my sister took took that on board and we're like, we'll be your... Well, my sister's dead sporty anyway. She's very into all that kind of stuff. Um, but all growing up, I was like, I'll wear the football tops. Don't worry. I know you're the son, so I'll be that son. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about the North East and obviously very, very proud of your roots. And yeah. you, you obviously we've seen clips of you where you bring that into your comedy. Um do you think that's like a little bit of a, a uniqueness for you when you're on, when you're on whichever show? Yeah, and especially when I moved to oh, that's my Washington. <laughs> <laughs> when I moved to London, and like obviously London was like a melting pot. There was lots of people from lots of different places, but I, I don't think I ever did a gig in London where there was another Jodie on the bill. So it really became something. I think that's really when I started talking about Newcastle and stuff because I was like, I've got my own little niche here of being like. You know, I'm not just from, especially in London, everyone's like, oh, the tube and, oh, what's it like growing up in zone four? And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't care any of that stuff. And also, if you get on the screen, go out to London and try and do your little jokes about living in zone four, everyone's going to be like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Whereas, like, me being able to talk about, like, being and, like, all that kind of stuff, it was really, like, relatable and translatable as well because... It was usually like northerners in the crowd or you know people living in a city a different city and moving to a different city or even just like being proud of where you come from like definitely so I became a lot more I don't know what the word I'm looking for confident isn't the right word but a lot more like I wanted to talk about being from the north and stuff whereas I think when I started I was like oh I don't want like being Jodie to be my whole identity and I was like well it's not it's not my whole identity but it's a massive part of who I am and of course I want to talk about it definitely. Are you still in London now then or have you kind of? (laughs) I have left (laughs) Newcastle and I'm never going back absolutely not if you pay this I wouldn't go back if you pay this. What what was the what was the factor behind that then? Is it just you were you were homesick or is just London too? Because I couldn't think of anything worse than living in London. I no, I've done it. I've done it as well. It's awful. I always said I was like, if you've got money, it's probably the best place. But when you're skin, like you're literally working. So I was like gigging like every night of the week, even if a gig was thirty quid, I'd be like, I'll do it and it'll pay me tube fare. And then you're working so much, you don't have time to actually enjoy living there and stuff. Um, and don't have the money to enjoy it so like especially on Twitter sometimes people will be like oh, London's actually really really good and I'm like yeah probably if you can afford it I couldn't so like I was miserable but when the pandemic hit I came up home then I broke up with my boyfriend and I was like I've got no reason to go back because I was only really there for him so I'm staying up here and like a lot of comics are like so you're gonna move back to London now gigs are back and I'm like fuck no like the last flat I lived in we had mice in the bedroom walls and oh. it was the most horrific thing ever because 
having mice in your flat is one thing, but literally our bed was obviously like against the wall and you could just hear them scratching every night and I was concerned that they were going to scratch their way through the bloody walls um, and I was ringing the landlord constantly and they were like oh, just put like peppermint oil down and I was like these mice are ridiculous they are not going away like, I've tried peppermint oil I've tried wire wool and in the end this bloke came around and like drilled into the wall to put like some device in the wall to try and get rid of them and I was just like I'm paying so much money for this <laughs> like yeah. this is I think the last month of living in that flat I slept on the sofa and it was this horrible moment of being like I'm spending all my money to sleep on a sofa in a <laughs> flat in London like that was not <laughs> not how I wanted my life to go so when we broke up I was like do I go back and I was like nah absolutely not no way let's stay in Newcastle and get a dog <laughs> well, I think that sounds much better anyway but um going yeah. back to going back to your comedy Lauren um can you remember your first ever gig or yes. your first, maybe first professional gig. And how were you feeling going there? How nervous were you? Or were you just thinking, listen, you get your first joke. It's like with a podcast, get your first question out of the way. What would, what would you say to that? Professional one. It was 31st of May, or 30th of May. It was the end of May at Chillingham Arms in Heaton. Oh, uh, yes. With this competition called So You Think You're Funny. So um, obviously I knew nothing about comedy when I started, but I would be on like all these comedians Wikipedia and it would always say which competitions they'd entered. And that was the one thing I was noticing. I was like, oh, they all seem to do competitions when they start. Um, so I thought, well, fuck it, I'll do it. So I entered this competition and I'm turning up and I had that jumper that was just in that picture. I had the OG version of that jumper, which was a gray one with a big red heart when you tackle on, skinny jeans. I was like, that, I was still doing my A-levels. I was at the end of like last year, sixth form. And I remember being like a bit nervous, but also like, because it was still a hobby at this stage, like when I first started, I never thought it would be a career. I think I had that sort of like arrogance of youth where I was a bit like, oh, well, I've not really got anything to be nervous about because I've got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to gain. Like I wasn't entering the competition because I wanted to get to the final, whereas I think everybody else who entered was obviously like, I want to get to the final, whereas I was like, I'm doing this because I want to do a gig and I don't know where else to gig in Newcastle. So I think I was like, obviously nervous and no one was going to enjoy it, but I was also like, We've literally got nothing to lose. Like it's gonna be fine. I remember walking in and Lost Voice Guy was there. Um, really? My friend to this day was so he was at my very first gig. Um and then I got through and he didn't. But I mean what what's he done since then? Like absolutely <laughs> it's not like he's won Britain's Got Talent or anything. Um, but yes, I remember and I was at a music festival like two months later when I got the phone call to say I'd got through and I was like, but I didn't want to get through. And the woman was like, what? I was like, well, I didn't I really didn't expect to get through. Like, I, honestly, it was just a gig for me. And she was like, well, you're coming to Edinburgh next month because you're in the next round. And I was like, ah, all right then. And then I think I was more nervous in the next round because suddenly I was like, oh, this has got a bit real. Like, I'm actually in this competition at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, and I was probably terrible. <laughs> but it, that was what kick-started us to being like, oh, I think I'm going to actually have to really start looking for gigs and trying to like gig more this could be a proper thing i find it staggering that award-winning comedian best newcomer at edinburgh but yet you're just starting out and you've got you're still at uni but yeah, just in yeah. case you've now got a job at a restaurant just in case yeah i, th I do genuinely think it's the working class mentality though of like you never want to get too comfortable and you never want to be like, oh, well, this must be it. And when I, I left my day job in 2017, just before I did my debut in Edinburgh, because um, I just I was getting a bit like jealous of all these comics who didn't have day jobs and they just had all day to write. They could go off to gigs in the evening and they weren't tired from working a 12-hour shift. And I was like, well, this debut year is really important. So I left my job in the April and I was like, I've got enough money to see this through to the summer. We'll see what happens in Edinburgh if it goes well. Maybe I won't need to go back to the day job. If it doesn't go well, I'll get another job in a restaurant in a heartbeat. Like, I used to work at Byron Burgers in Newcastle, and I was genuinely, like, because I was living in London at this time, but I was like, if, if it goes badly, I'll come back to Newcastle and I'll get my job back at Byron Burgers. Like, I'll be absolutely fine. So I was kind of prepped for it to go well or for it to go bad. But it went well. Um, That's when I got the nominations. So I didn't need to go back to the day job. But I always used to try and like work on a six month period. So say like I would look in June and be like, 
have I got enough to the end of the year or do I need to get a job again? And I'd be like, nope, I'm fine. And then say like in December, I'd be like, how's your next six months looking? Are they all right? Yep, you're fine. So I always operated on this like weird little six month review system where I'd be like, can you still be full-time self-employed? You can, cool. Six months of it. Um, which I think is probably what made it easier when the pandemic hit. And I was like, well, your next six months are not okay. Get a job, go get a job. Whereas I think maybe some of the slightly more, I, I don't want to make it all about class, but maybe some of the slightly more middle-class comics who've never really had to do a day job were a bit like, shit, what do I do? Whereas I think me and a lot of other working-class comics were like, get a job, that's what you do. Like, you're, you're not better than anything. You're not above working in a supermarket just because... Like you've had this really fun job for a few years. You're never above anything. If you want to pay your bills, you work a job. Like <laughs> that's what you do. Well, you never have to worry anymore because you know, just Johnny's management at a well-known <laughs> chicken restaurant. So it's fine. You've always got that to fall back on now. So just don't worry. I, I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. I was wondering how long that would take after you mentioned yeah, restaurants. I genuinely think, and I've said this, working in a restaurant fits so well with comedy because your job as a waiter is to get tips. How do you get tips? By being nice to your customers. What's the best way to build a rapport with your customers? Make them laugh. Make them laugh. And when I, especially when I first moved to London, I was working in Byron, but in London, I worked there for six months before I went full time. And I was just coining it with tips because I think they weren't used to, especially in London, being served by someone who was chatty and wanted a joke and wanted a laugh. And my restaurant was right by Hammersmith Apollo, where like Live at the Apollo films and everything. Oh. I remember working a shift the day Apollo was filming. So I was chatting to every customer about comedy and like who they'd seen and stuff. And like, I do think, I think it's why I don't really mind working in hospitality because I'm like, it's, it's good practice for comedy. It's being nice to people to try and earn more money that's, <laughs> that's what is. well someone earned a lot more money and i tried my jokes and it didn't work um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um edinburgh festival it, it seems to be the creme de la creme for comedians yeah. and you talk about obviously being quite nervous the first time you probably ever went to edinburgh to try yeah. your, your comedy but when it works, that must be one of the biggest buzzers in comedy. It was this weird moment where like, I'd gone up a couple of years in a row with friends, like sharing a show. And then I went and did like a little 40 minute show on my own in literally an attic. It was called, both of the venues I've done are in attics, which I think I, I wanna like be promoted now. To, like, <laughs> so I did the attic, it probably, I think it fit like 30 people and it was a sauna, like, I had to have a fan on, but the fan made no difference. I would give out ice lollies at the start of the show. I used to go to like, a little budget shop before my show. I'd buy two boxes of ice lollies, and I would hand out ice lollies at the start of the show. I'd be like, it's hot. I know it's hot. Like, and I know as a huge comedy fan, like I would go and see a lot of shows. I know how uncomfortable it is to be in a really hot room. So I'd give out these ice lollies during like, the show. Um, and then that was fine, but I was playing to like, I would maybe fill the room on the weekends, but I was playing a maximum of like 30 people, usually about 15, 20. And then the following year was when I was de- I debuted and I was in another attic, um, but a bigger attic. Um, <laughs> 55 people or something. And I was like, well, if I can half fill it, well, I'll be happy. Like a half full 50 seat room is still going to look pretty, like pretty decent. And it sold out. Like I think after the first couple of nights, I got a review. I think the festival started on, say, the Thursday, and I got a five-star review on the Monday. And after that, every single show sold out. And it was just this mad feeling of, like, so on the website, when you try and book tickets, it's red if it's sold out. And I would go on the Fringe website in the morning and be like, my show sold out for the next four days. And then I would go on, like, say, two hours later and be like, it's sold out for the next week. What's happening? And by the halfway point in the festival, I'd sold out the whole run. So like literally, and then suddenly I was like, well, oh my, your biggest stress in Edinburgh is selling tickets. And suddenly I was in this really weird position where halfway through, I was like, I don't have to worry about selling tickets anymore because they're sold. And I was like, last year, I was literally in the street giving out ice lollies to try and get people to come and see us. And it was this mad feeling of being like, how in a year has it gone from begging people to come and see you to people tweeting as being like if there's any returns please let me know I'd love a ticket and I was like this is mad so like this kind of stuff doesn't happen to people like me like no way do you pay much attention to like reviews that you that you get up there or like (laughs) like I remember before I went up and I was like um obviously I've never I've been reviewed in competitions but I've never been reviewed like 
over that length of time and people were like some people were like don't read them some people were like do so for the first year I did this thing because obviously you see the stars going up on your post and you're like well I want to know what the bloody review says <laughs> so um I was the was my ex I was seeing him at the time so I would say to him I've just been reviewed by whoever can you send me one nice line like one like pull quote from the review and this, this is going to sound like such a big-headed thing to say that show was getting pretty much all four and five star reviews and so I, I kind of knew the reviews were going to be good so I was like, is there any harm in reading them but I was like no no I want to get to the end of the month and like not really read. I think I read one off like quite a tough critic but they'd given us four stars and I was buzzing so I was like obviously I want to read it so my ex would send us like one nice line from every review so I could like put on social media like five stars from the list and then a little quote but it meant I wasn't getting like sucked into reading the whole thing um, but then the following year I went up and I was like, I think I've got a bit of a thicker skin now. I think I can read them. So I did used to read them as they were coming out. And sometimes they'd be lovely and I'd be like, oh, great. And then other times there'd just be like one line in it. And I'd be like, nah, get off. Like, <laughs> oh, I remember getting one. There was, um, so I asked not to know if there was review as in. You can find out in advance. But I was like, nah, don't tell us because it'll get in my head. Everything gets in my head. So I was like, I'd rather not know. But I could see this girl with a pen. So I was like, it's obviously a review out there. Like, try and be a bit more subtle. And I used to, um, at the end of every show, because my room was so small, I'd stand and say thank you to people for coming. I was like, I think it's polite. People have took a chance on someone relatively unknown. Like, I think it's really polite to say thank you. And this woman who'd been the reviewer didn't make eye contact, didn't shake my hand, just walked straight past and I was like, hmm, that's not going to be a good review, is it? So I text the girl who was doing my PR, and I was like, whoever review I was in today, it's not going to be good. And it came out a couple of days later, and it was three. And now I personally don't think three is great, but a lot of people are like, no, three is still, it's good. I was like, yeah, well, I kind of get it. Three is still, it's good, but also you're not putting three stars on a poster, are you? You're putting four. So I'm a bit like, I think three's all right. That's how I would describe it. I was like, all right, well, it's all right. It's not it's all right like one bit and she'd sort of rewritten it in that review and I was like nah don't do that because you're now presenting my bit of material go out of context like um as well the kind of the whole show had like built up to this bit of material I was like so you're not providing any of the context of any of the material that came before you're presenting this bit as like a complete stand of course it looks bad when you do it like that um and she and she slightly misquoted it and stuff and obviously she hadn't copied it as verbatim as i'd said it and i was just so annoyed as well i was like don't put people's bits of material in the review like don't sort of maybe describe what the bit was about but don't try and like copy and paste the jokes into a review and a couple of days later another comic said she'd tried to get a review taken down because the reviewer had essentially just listed our jokes in the review and I sent her a message and I was like was it this person from this place and she was like yep and I went well they, they did pretty much the same thing to me like presented me jokes like really out of context but then I was so annoyed about it for like days after I was like this is why they tell you not to read reviews because this one sort of fine review that probably no one would have read has now really bugged us so after that I was like yeah maybe I don't maybe I don't read them (laughs) that's not the job of a reviewer though a reviewer is to say how they thought the performance it's not to go well this joke this joke this joke this joke it's it's not that's not fair on you joke and then everybody laughed and then they said this joke and then they did this and it's like it's like a five-year-old writing like what I did on my weekend so thing with Edinburgh like you you have like sort of your newspaper reviewers who maybe kind of know what they're talking about and then you get a lot of like student reviewers and amateur reviewers who don't really know how to write a review and you've kind of just got to take it because no doubt if she'd given us four stars I would have been like she's amazing she knows what she's talking about (laughs) (laughs) the one review the one review I did see Lauren sorry Sam for cutting in but actually I was just telling Sam before we came on and I actually think it sums up the northeast pretty well a breath, yeah. of feist, a, be- a breath of feisty fresh air. Oh, yeah, like The Guardian or something. Yeah, I, think I, thought, that was, I thought that was a fantastic quote. The one time I've ever used a pull quote from The Guardian. <laughs> 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 Nothing against The Guardian, but I've always thought, mm, Guardian readers, probably not massively my audience. I'm not saying no one who reads The Guardian would like my comedy, but they do tend to be a bit more highbrow, I think. But when I got yeah. that quote, I was like, that's going on everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's too right. I mean, like, away from the review side of things, like, when you won the award, the Newcomer Award, some people aren't in the award, some people mean everything to, where do you stand on it? And and the night you won, was it 
massive lash and singing Blade and Races down Printer Street, or was it just chuck chuck the award in the bin and bank the cash? Like for the for the newcomer thing, like when you debut and everywhere, it's kind of always in the back of your mind. Um, so when I got like the nomination, I was really really chuffed, but I was like, it doesn't, it now doesn't matter if I win or if I don't, because just to get that nomination is amazing. But I know there's lots of other people who, if when they don't get the nomination, really take it to heart. And I'm like, there's so many amazing comics who didn't get the newcomer nomination when they debuted. And like, they've either then gone on to win the main award or be nominated for the main award, or maybe they haven't got that either, but they've gone on to do like incredible things. Um, so right from the start, I was like, if I get if I get nominated, it's amazing. If I don't, it doesn't change things. Like, not at all. And I was a little bit worried that I was like, I'm because I was a really, like, club comic and I'd come up through the circuit, I was like, people like me maybe don't always tend to get the recognition. And I was like, so, and there's a, a lot of talk in Edinburgh about, like, club comics and how they get sort of reviewed differently or treated differently. And I was like, well, I'm falling into that bracket. I'll maybe live on the circuit. I gig, like, five nights a week. Um, so I thought maybe as, like, a circuit club comic, then I might not fly in Edinburgh, but I seem to have found the balance of how to do both, which seems to annoy some people but I'm like well sorry and I'm now a club comic and an Edinburgh darling that is the best of both worlds <laughs> <laughs> um I have to ask about Catherine Ryan because I think she has been a massive inspiration for you and oh absolutely how amazing is she because when she comes across on television she comes so natural she uh, that's the kind of word I would describe about her nicest people if not the nicest person that I've met in comedy like she's so supportive she's just so genuine like, I remember my first night in London getting lost on the way home, and I think I, like, tweeted something about it. She sent an Uber to come and get us to take us to my house. Like, no so turns out I was, like, a two-minute walk from my house, but that was <laughs> <laughs> late, and I was a lost little northerner. But she's very, very nice. And um, she took a massive chance on me. She'd seen me in a competition doing five minutes and then booked us to do a QR support like six months later. And at the time I'd not even done a 20 minute set, but I lied through my teeth to her. Um, and she was like, <laughs> 20 minutes. And I was like, of course I've got 20 minutes. I'm Laura Parson, of course I've got 20 minutes. I did not have 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> doing a QR support and just doing my 15 minutes, but doing it slower and it hit 20. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> um, and then she invited us back for the next tour. And then I did the one after that as well. So, like, she's really, like, it's not like she just sort of was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll have her for this one and then I'll never help her with anything again. She's really supportive, just a good, a good, like, mentor to have, definitely. Oh, no. She's a fantastic judge on roast battle and where you starred against yeah. um, Tom Howard, who, I mean, if, if, it, if it was an actual fight, the ref would have stopped it very, very early on. You absolutely <laughs> slaughtered him. It was hilarious. Because, like, ah. it's not my... I'm not like a... I don't think roasts are nasty, so it's not like roasts are nasty comedy, but obviously it's quite cutting, and that's not my style when I do my solo stuff. Um, so, obviously, I was like, it's a big shift in tone for me, and I was worried that it wouldn't work because as well when you're a, not to make it about gender, but when you're a woman making those kind of jokes, your worry is people are going to go, oh, what a bitch. Oh, how nasty. Whereas when a bloke makes them jokes, it's like, eh, go on, lads. I was like, what if people, what if it puts people off us? And they're like, oh, oh, that's a bit nasty. That's a bit. But I was like, the, the good thing is Tom's one of my like closest friends in comedy. So I was like, hopefully the chemistry will be there. Because I think sometimes with roast battles, you can tell when they don't, nor like each other and you're like oh this is awkward but I was just like I know my jokes are good I know we've got the relationship <laughs> like we're really good friends so I just hope that I don't come across like that people take it the right way and I come across fine but luckily I think it actually played in my favour that this like little petite lass um was just absolutely savaging Tom I think it actually <laughs> worked in me favour being like a little a little cute girl who was just like bang 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 but I had so much fun doing it. I loved it. Like, it's the only thing I've done, not that I've done a lot of telly, but it's one of the, I ha I've never watched anything else I've done back because I'm always like, oh, no, nah, it's my face, it's my voice, oh. But I've watched that roast battle so many times. I love it. <laughs> I, I think it helps as well that, like, he's, he's, he's a little posh boy living in the Tower of London. Yeah. I found some comments about it online and someone, like, loads of people were being nice about it and I was like, hm, thank you. 
and there was one person they were like i just don't get why she made it all about class and like made out like um hard to be which is like she like really like weaponized the class against them and made some comment about how almost like i was like making out like it was worse to be working class or something which i wasn't but i wanted to reply to this guy and be like of course i was gonna make it about class it's what you do in a roast battle if you're thin person against the larger person you're probably going to make it about their weight whether that's nice or not if you're like um a gay person against a straight person you're going to make jokes about like um sexuality i was like i was a very working class person against the poshest person i've ever <laughs> we both and there's no one else they never made any comments about hate like how he made it i was like we both made it about class like that was literally that's of course what we were going to hook that whole roast on like it's ridiculous but i loved it like nerve-wracking because like before you go on if you whip them up into a frenzy it's like a bear pit like they're chanting and like it, there was this atmosphere in the room and my heart was like going through my chest i was like like gladiator like about to be like gone um but it was amazing it was when i got i think the first laugh and then i had to come back to something he said so he like um said something obviously the crowd are like hey and then I had this comeback and the crowd just went mad and I was like I've won, I've won. like <laughs> well, one joke in and I know I've won <laughs> that's that's the best way to, best way to do it I suppose but that judging panel Jimmy Carr Catherine Ryan Jonathan Ross yeah so if you make them laugh if you hear that Jimmy Carr laugh exactly I think it was so... yeah, that little goat laugh and I was like yeah this is fine that's the thing obviously they're all because the series before it'd been Russell Brand and then it was Jonathan Ross on my series and I was like just to even and you're sort of like there on the stage and they're literally like just to the side of you so it's very like daunting because you're doing he was sort of behind me so I was doing my jokes to him so I couldn't see them but you're like in a way that's worse because you're like are they laughing are they enjoying it like because the last thing you want is to think you've done well in the roast and then be savaged by Jimmy Catherine and Jonathan <laughs> like, I couldn't think of anything worse than having to stand there and be like Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, they enjoyed it. They were good. I would have thought having Catherine there, they would have like kind of settled your nerves a little bit because yeah, you know. like I knew she would have me back. But then we did it again, like I think a week later. We there was some like comedy central festival in Southampton, and they were doing roast battle live. So me and him got booked to do it again and do that roast again. I can't remember if this was before the TV or after. I think it might have been after the TV record. So we did this roast again. And I think um, they voted the other way to make it fair because I think they knew I'd won on like the telly record. So I think to sort of like in the balance of fairness or whatever. So it was different judges. It was Rob Delaney. I can't remember who else was on. But Rob Delaney voted for me because he obviously hadn't been on the TV judging panel. And when the others voted for Tom, he was like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like she was clear and the crowd were booing and Tom was like looking so awkward. And I was like, I think uh, I'm not happy with this result, Tom. And he was like, what? Who with me? And I was like, I we won. <laughs> I can't remember who else was that. It might have been Catherine on the judging panel. And I think she said after, because I voted for you in the telly, like, I thought it would be fair at a vote. And I was like, I'm not offended at all. Like, as long as I won on TV where everyone sees, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to ask you about the podcast that you've been involved with, uh, Conversations Against Living, Living Miserably. <laughs> Conversations Against Living Miserably. Um, why did you get involved in that? And how did you get involved in that? So the guy who co-hosted that, he's on Twitter, Technically Ron, and um, he's so funny on Twitter. So he approached me um, asking if I'd want to do it with him. And I was like, yeah, like, he's so funny. I'd love the chance to work with him. And as well, like, just to do, a, like, sort of a mental health podcast, I was like, it's something that I care a lot about, and especially, like, in comedy, like, a lot of people, I think, a lot more people than would let on, like, suffer with their mental health. And I was like, it seems like a really good thing to be part of. And I wanted to get experience like hosting something because I'd not done a lot of telly and stuff. And the telly I had done was stand up on TV. I was like, but I've never had a chance to just be Lauren. So this is like out of my comfort zone. And the first episode we recorded wasn't the first episode that went out. But I was just so like, I didn't know how to present anything. But you can see the difference as the episodes go on that I just become so much more like comfortable. And it was, I loved doing it. Like it was probably one of my favorite things I've done just having these really important conversations and the amount of messages I would get after like private messages and stuff like especially dads being like I listen to your podcast and I spoke to like my teenage son who I'm convinced 
like isn't well and isn't right and I was like, it's obviously working. Like, if I just got one message from the whole series, I would have been like, well, I felt one person. Like, it's a nice feeling, definitely. Very much enjoyed doing it. I can imagine that stuff, like helping people open up and, and admitting or, you know, coming to terms with mental health issues, I can imagine that that just outweighs awards and, 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 and all of that other yeah. stuff. And as well, it was like, I remember having one comic on and he said how he really struggled to make eye contact and it was an anxious thing. And I was like, are you kidding? And he was like, well, I went, I if I'm doing a gig, I cannot look at the front row, can't look at them. And I've always just thought that was a me thing. And I was like, yes, somebody else who has this same thing would be like, oh no, it's, of course it's an anxious thing. Of course it is. This isn't just like, because I remember a promoter once saying to me, I saw more of your eyelids than I did like um, anything else. Like you just, you weren't looking at the front row. And I was like, Oh, this just must be me not being like a fully good comic yet or whatever. So there was a few moments like that where someone would say something and I'd be like, oh my God, I do that or I feel like that. And it's just nice to be like, oh, so it's not just a Lauren being weird thing. This is a general like anxious thing that other people have. And it's totally normal, totally normal. When you, when you obviously talk to these different comedians about so many different issues, the fact that you can, everybody can put like a comedic spin on it yeah. makes a massive difference because look, comedians obviously will take the mick out of people. It happens, that's their job in a sense. But <clears throat> to do that when talking about mental health issues, but still making it important, I think that's very, very clever actually. Exactly, and that's part of the reason I wanted to do it as well, because the way I've always been brought up is you get through things by laughing. Like I remember when my mom's mom died, so like my nana, and like 10 minutes later, my mom like made a joke in the car about being an orphan and just it broke that tension and everybody laughed. And like my sister was due to get married and my uncle was like, oh, does that mean there'll be an extra meal at the wedding? And like, <laughs> you're laughing and suddenly everything feels a bit less shit. Um, and that's always the way that we've been brought up. So I was like, what better way to make mental health maybe a bit more accessible and a bit more, because I think if you say to people mental health podcasts, they're like, mm, sounds a bit heavy, sounds a bit when it's all comedians or like even if the guests weren't comics having a comedian as one of the hosts I think just helped make the whole thing lighter and more like definitely more accessible like I really enjoyed it yeah going back to um briefly humiliating posh boys <laughs> um I, I saw a clip online the other day of you playing football with Chris Kamara and Ivo Graham that was one of those moments where you're like, what is my life? What is my... So I think that was the end of 2019 I did that. I got a phone call and they were like, oh, they're making some like online thing for Comedy Central. You're going to play football. You're going to be like, talk, talk like football things off a footballer and like Chris Kamara is going to be on the judging panel. And I was like, cool, sounds fun, sounds good. Um, but then when we got there, the, whoever the footballer was was ill. So they kind of dropped Cammy in it last minute and they were like, Cammy's, we're now going to change the format and Cammy's going to like coach you um, to like join the football team. And I was like, absolutely fine by me. Like I used to work for minimum wage in a restaurant. I am happy to be a football player. <laughs> and I think as well, because obviously Ivo is obviously hugely into football. So I think he really wanted to impress Chris. Whereas me, I was on the girls' football team at primary school, but I was a sub. Like, I was very much there to make up numbers. Like, I, I know I'm bad at football. I know I can't play it. But I was just like, this is a bit of fun. Like, I'm literally getting paid to spend the morning dicking about with Chris Kamara. Like, this is great. So I think that's what was so funny about our little episode, is you could tell Ivo's really trying to impress him. And I'm just sort of, like, toddling about, accidentally scoring goals. Like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> What is Chris Kamara like, Lauren? Is he because obviously for football fans and just people that are seeing like on ITV, he's just That's the thing. even from, like a huge football fan, like a new Cammy, and I was like, this is pretty cool. And he he's one who I asked at the end for a picture, and he was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And he was like, you did so well, like you improved so much across the morning. And I was like, thank you, Cammy. <laughs> <laughs> really, really nice. Like because I think as well, obviously he was expecting just to be sort of judging it so I think the things had changed and he was coaching um so I think he was a bit like sort of having to just pick it up as he went along <laughs> going mad I know <laughs> built in the next room and I think the dog keeps forgetting <laughs> bless <laughs> this is this is why I'd, I'd like you can get away with animals. Everyone loves an animal. If I'm, if my kids run in, they'd just be yeah. absolute 
anarchy. They'd be grabbing the microphone. They'd be <laughs> oh, anarchy. No, no, what's here to? He's fine. Um, yeah, he's really sound because obviously I think he was not expecting to be doing what he was doing, so he was kind of just having to adapt as he went along. But such a nice man, like. And genuinely, I felt like he genuinely wanted us to do a football and stuff. And there was one bit where we were doing like volleys off a trampoline. He was like, "Tell you what, it'd be really funny if I throw the ball and you like catch it, and then I can be like, no, Lauren, you're not meant to catch the ball.'" Um, lovely. I really enjoyed working with them. To, to come full circle, um, sticking with the football side of things, like we mentioned at the start about your dad and, and trying to get you and your sister into football. Did he ever drag you along to St. James's Park or did it never get that far? I've been to a few games, especially when I was like younger, because when I was at school, I would always do these like free football tickets if you had like 100% attendance. And I was a little nerd, so of course I had 100% attendance. <laughs> um, and I used to love going. And like, I like watching football. Um, I just don't know a lot about it, if you know what I mean. So like, I've been watching the Euros at the minute. And like I text the lad I'm dating, I was like, "Oh, it's bloody class when they score goals, isn't it?" And he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> it is good when they score goals." <laughs> the whole point of football. Um, but then I was texting my dad because someone scored. Was it in the England game or the Scotland game? And then the goal got taken off them. And I texted my dad, and I was like, "What do you mean they can take goals off people?" And he was like, oh, got "So much to learn, Lauren." <laughs> but, but I just think it's fantastic. We've had like obviously Newcastle former players but we've had the women's team on as well oh, yeah. and, it's, and it's just nice to see everybody in the northeast actually getting behind everything that we do which i think i think is absolutely brilliant i think it's a very supportive place to be definitely like i went to see sam fender at the o2 academy and i took my ex from london and he was like i've never been to a gig like that where the whole crowds are just like behind someone because it's like it's like we treat people as one of us like it's like seeing one of your family do well. You're like, oh, he's one of ours. She's one of ours. Like, definitely. I'm just going to yeah. go. Um, I'll be two seconds. I just need to. Take so just while, yeah, take that one. And then, just while uh, Lauren to sort now whatever she needs to sort out, Sam. Um, comedy is such a big thing to master. And the fact that Lauren has been able to just go around the world and do that, it's an absolute credit to her, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, no one. It's it's like, like you get certain things where like anyone can do it just with a bit of practice. Like this isn't how it is in comedy. You've you've got to be very. Um, I don't know what the word is. Gifted, talented, all them kind of things. And I don't know. Lucky is that? I don't. I don't know. What do you think? There's, there's very few people that can do it. I think if, I think everybody talks about obviously in like sport, like talent and hard work. And obviously, if you can, you, someone can have a talent, but if there's not the, the, the hard work, the, the attitude to can I improve myself and take that to bigger stages, you know, your talent will only last so long. So I think that's a, it's a fantastic uh, balance between the two. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And also, what we've learned from today is, if nothing else, that the North is just so much better. It always has been, always will be, for sure. But I think, for me, as well... There's always going to be an ideal comedy gig. There's always going to be that place that you want to 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 you know show your showcase your talents. Uh, I can imagine. So obviously, Lauren actually is back on the screen now. Yeah, Lauren sorry, is a bloke building flat pack for us, and I could tell he was finished, but knew I was doing something and didn't want to come in the room, so I could just see him like hovering, and I was like, "I'll come pay you." <laughs> <laughs> is is that is there an ideal place? Because obviously. You've, You've been to so many different places around the world to do your comedy. Is there yeah. an ideal gig that you haven't done that you want to do? I really want a gig in America. Like, just because as well, like, obviously I know there's a lot of, like, British comics who've cracked America, but I'm like, I wonder how they would deal with, like, this accent and, like, would it work? Would it work in my favour? Because that's what I found about gigging internationally is a lot of people like the accent and that sort of wins people over very quickly. But I'd love to gig, like, in America, um and just see what that's like but i cannot afford a visa for america that is so expensive so i have to have to wait for that one but yeah like a, a dream gig as well is just <laughs> i know it might sound daft but when you walk into a room all the chairs are facing the right way like they're close together but not like sandwiched in together like there's an actual stage an actual microphone 
like you can see there's lights and the proper sound set up and you're just like oh thank you like the amount of times you walk in and even just like you're not on a stage you're on like a slightly raised platform made out of like beer pallets or something and you're just like even something little like that it's it sort of it's like the crowd are sometimes looking like oh well this isn't like a proper gig I don't have to like take this seriously and you're like just because I'm not on a real stage doesn't mean it's not like an actual gig but yeah America is the one I want to do and I want to go back to Australia but the borders are shut for who knows how long I was meant to go in January and then got a message and they were like um yeah it doesn't look like the borders are going to be open in January I was like but it's June (laughs) 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 open in January but yeah, never mind. I'll have to stay in rainy Newcastle for a bit longer. Oh, would you not prefer like a, a sold out utility arena rather than going to like places where the weather's nice? <laughs> the arena for Sunday for Sammy. And obviously, it was an amazing experience to be on stage at the arena. I was like, this is mad. But I've heard other comics who are at arena level say this, and I totally agree with it. Some people love it, like absolutely love it. But there's others who are like, it loses something. Because to me, comedy is about like it being intimate. And like intimate doesn't have to mean like gigging in front of 10 people, but say somewhere like the Tang Theatre, that's still quite, you know, like cozy. And it's like, what, like a thousand, two thousand capacity. But still, it doesn't feel like overwhelmingly big. And there was something about like doing Sunday for Sammy at the arena and you tell the joke and then there's almost like a delay. And then you hear the laugh like rippling backwards because obviously that room is so big um and I was like obviously it was an incredible experience but I was like you know what I think I think this is why Sarah Millican does it she does like 10 nights at the time theater like sell out the arena like easy over two three four nights whatever but she does like a lot of nights in a smaller venue and I think I'm more inclined that way that I'd rather do more gigs in a smaller venue than do like one big massive one just because I think it to me comedy is all about that like Ooh, we're all kind of in this together sort of thing but when you're in an arena it just feels so like vast massive but not that I'm saying I would never want to do an arena in case there's anybody <laughs> listening who's got power like I don't want to talk <laughs> an arena to her <laughs> um Lauren what has been your best ever gig since being a comedian mm. what do you what do you perceive to be your best gig it's weird so I've got like a few for different reasons so like I supported Catherine Ryan in Manchester or Salford. I don't know if they, if there's a difference, if they get annoyed, if it's like a bloody Middlesbrough-Stockton thing, because I once did that <laughs> and said, oh, I've never been to Middlesbrough, and I thought I was going to get stabbed. Like, <laughs> no, that they are different places. Um, but, like, I was supporting her in Salford, and obviously, like, the support gigs were all really nice. Like, I absolutely loved doing her support, but there was something about that night. I don't know if it's the northern thing, but I felt like I could have been carried out of there like a god. Like, just everything landed. They were so lovely. Right, because sometimes when you do support at the beginning, they're like, mm, who are you? You're not Catherine Ryan. But right from the start, they were on side with us. And I think by the time I got off stage and went to, like, the green room and checked my phone, I already had, like, 200 new followers. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like, that is quick. So that was an amazing one. And now I find when I gig in Manchester, there's a lot of people from that gig who still come and see us and support us I think they're a very loyal place like Newcastle as well where if they see someone and they like them they're like yeah you're one of us now yeah we're gonna back you we're gonna support you um so that was an amazing one and then there was um this gig in Melbourne called Stamp Town so it's my one of my like best friends this is such a weird thing to say every time I say this to people they're like your life is weird my best friend is a clown but <laughs> but not like a red nose floppy shoe clown he like very like physical comedy like slapstick that sort of thing and I met him in Edinburgh and then we like massively hit it off and like he's like one of my best friends in the world um and he runs these gigs called Stamp Town and they're like late night gigs and they're chaos they're absolute carnage um and it won't just be straight stand-ups there'll be like um sort of more alternative acts there'll be like uh, I saw one where someone just counted from like one to a hundred like which sounds shit but like it just everything just works at those gigs they're mad and they were doing one in Melbourne when I was in Melbourne not having like a nice time in Melbourne um and really enjoying it but I went to do this stamp town gig and it was like um I think it fits about like 400 people in the room or something and they were full they'd sold it out 
And I, again, I just felt like a rock star, you know, and, and bear in mind, I'd been in Melbourne for a couple of weeks and I'd been really enjoying the gigs and having lovely gigs, but something about this gig was just like next level. And then you come off stage and you're like, oh my God, this is why I do it. And then over the next few days, I'd be walking around Melbourne and people would be like, oh my God, I saw you on Stamptown. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was mad. And yeah, and that was the gig. It was, I think it was a few days before my nephew's birthday. So I asked the crowd if they would sing happy birthday for my nephew. So that I could then send them this video of like 400 people on the other side of the world singing happy birthday to him. Like so mad but they're the two when i think of like best gigs they're the two that stand out just for for this probably for the same reason of like it just clicked from the start like when you can tell a crowd is your crowd and i was like oh yes this is gonna be lovely absolutely lovely after nights like that though isn't it hard not to get a bit complacent it, I wouldn't say, I think some people definitely get a bit like, oh, well, every night's going to be like this. Whereas for me, like, I then worry that I'm never going to get that again. I'm like, oh, my God, what if that was, like, the last good gig I'm ever going to have? And then, like, you do another one that's not quite as good. And you're like, it's still a really good gig. But you're like, oh, well, it wasn't like the other night. And then, like, a week later, you'll have another amazing one. And you're like, yay, it's fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not an awful comic. But like, even I did one at Wyland Brewery like a couple of weeks ago and that was another one of those like from the minute I was on the stage I was like these are my people it was everything about that gig was amazing like the staff were lovely crowd were lovely the venue was lovely I got free beer tick 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 all round it was an amazing gig um and then sort of like I woke up the next day and I was like I know tonight's gig isn't going to be as good it could be like a 10 out of 10 gig but it's still not going to be what Wyland because Wyland Brewery was like a 20 out of 10 so you kind of after you've had a really good one you're a bit like well I know that whatever gig I do now is going to be even if it's the best gig it's still going to be shit because the last one was so next level so I, I'm probably the opposite of complacent I'm like no oh, the next one's going to be bad <laughs> <laughs> um, and just finally Lauren what do you want to achieve from your comedy career in the sense of what would you be happy with <laughs> Mm, so it used to be, I think the, the thing is with comedy is the goalposts always change. The, this dog is so dramatic because I'm not giving him any <laughs> He's got him lay just in a huff in a starfish in the middle of the floor. <laughs> it used to be I wanted to go full time. That was always the goal. I was like, I want to go full time with comedy. And then obviously I did that 2017, but then had to go un full time um, in 2020. And then even now, I think I am going to keep the day job for a while. Like, why wouldn't I? That's paying me bills. And then the comedy is sort of, it, it means there's no worry of like, oh, if a gig gets cancelled, I'm not going to be like, oh, shit, well, I can't pay me electric, I can't pay whatever. So weirdly, like, I've had that time of being full-time and it was amazing. But now I'm like, nah, I don't think the most important thing in comedy is to be full-time. So now my next goal is I just want to be in a place where I can um, build my reputation as a comic to the point where, like, I can tour like that's what I'd really love to do. I've done like unofficial tours, which were like to very, very small venues. And I think I literally just said, this is a series of dates rather than a tour, but I'd absolutely love to be in a position where I could like tour venues, like the stands in Edinburgh, Glasgow and Newcastle, they're all like decent sized venues um, where I could do just like a, a proper little tour. Not like massive, not even aiming for like time theater just yet, just like 100 capacity venues, maybe 200 capacity do like a tour around the country and for it to actually sell well like and for us to make money off it I think that's the thing now I'm like that would be the dream to like because I even when I've sort of toured my last two shows I've sort of took them to very small places I knew I would sell tickets so I did like a 30-seater room in Liverpool and a 30-seater room in Brighton but in like an 80-seater room in York but I was like I know that I'll sell in these places and just seeing people turn up for you is amazing because like when I do a weekend at the stands they're not there for me they're there just to come out and see a night of comedy but when you're doing a solo show people are coming for you so I think that would be the best feeling in the world to be able to like put a 20-day tour together of like nicely sized venues and I wouldn't say want them all to sell out but just for them to sell well I think that would just be the best so that's like that was my goal for 2020 to be honest I was like I'm gonna do my first proper tour and it's gonna be amazing and then I was like mm, just to gig again okay. yeah. <laughs> so that's well, like thing, yeah and to gig well, in America that's if I could gig in America I'd be very happy not on Conan because that's finished now so <laughs> yeah. from Wyland Breweries to Las Vegas who knows eh? 
exactly. Well, I went from Kenton to New Zealand, which I never thought would happen. I remember sitting on the plane to New Zealand and I felt so, I'm not thick, I'm not a thick person, but I was sat on the plane and I thought, I feel so stupid because I don't even know what New Zealand looks like. Like I knew nothing about it. Like at least when I was going to Australia, I was like, there'll be beaches and kangaroos and koalas and a very stereotypical view. But I remember sitting on the plane in New Zealand and this weird like wave hitters of being like, you are a working class girl from Kenton, you know, on your way to New Zealand, like 11,000 miles away or whatever. You don't, you don't know a single thing about this country. How exciting is that? That you've now just got three weeks to like explore this new country and you're getting paid for it. I was like, yes, please. This this is amazing. <laughs> it does. It definitely sounds amazing. And Lauren, we can only wish you the best of luck. And hopefully everything everything gets back to normal. You can tour yeah. wherever you want to tour. Because that'd be exactly. fantastic to see. And whatever <laughs> happens, as long as I'm happy, I think that's the most important thing. And I, I feel happy at the minute. So that's good. <laughs> a, fan, a fantastic model. Sam, where can everybody get this podcast? Oh, you know, the usual places. <laughs> Google it, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. All, 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 all the good ones. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, talking all things comedy, and having playing football, Chris Kamara. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I scored a goal. That is, it was a goal. It was a very tentative goal. When I scored a goal in front of Chris Kamara, what a day! I'd rather go in. <laughs> <laughs> For myself, Sam Milner and Lauren Patterson. We'll see you all very, very soon.